You know, there's a prayer that I've prayed throughout my lifetime, and probably you've prayed it too, I'm guessing. It's one of those prayers that goes like this. It says, I want to know what you want from me, God. And could you just tell me in a way that I could understand? And if I can understand it, I'll do whatever you ask. Or, or maybe you prayed this prayer. God, if you exist, if you're really the creator of all, if you really love me, if you really have a plan and a purpose for my life, then what do you want from me? What, what, what do you expect in my life? And, and that's really the core question we're going to deal with today. In fact, I want to flip it real quickly and say, if you were to write that down on a piece of paper right now, what you thought God wanted from you, what would you say? Not, not all the right answers, not all the ought to answers, not maybe even some of the answers that we have talked about over the last weeks in here about what the answer should be to that. But if you really got down to your behaviors, if you really thought about what goes through your mind each week and, and where your emotions are and, 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 and the things that you avoid from, avoid God on and all those things, if, if you, if you reflected on those and then and then summarized what you think God expects most from you what would it be what would that answer be a national researcher did looked at this very question uh, and surveyed thousands of Christians and asked what do you think God wants most and 80% of Christians said he wants us to live the rules really well in particular the Ten Commandments and beyond that some of the more common answers were he wants us to have faithful church attendance or or he wants us to to tithe or he wants us to pray so much or read the Bible so much and and we talked about last week the fact that it's really not rules true spirituality which is the question of this whole spirit of this whole series uh, life-giving spirituality is not found in meeting the rules it's found in relationship it's the principle of relationship but yet we so easily get caught in that i want to spend the rest of the day today looking at a character study of abraham and we're going to discuss from abraham's life that very question what does god want the most from us and how does sometimes he work in our life to help us give him that most. And as we look at Abraham, I want you to know we're not looking at this this great saint who's so different than us, which is so easy for us to portray him as. We're going to look not at the stained glass version of Abraham. We're going to look at the real life version because because for Abraham, he succeeded sometimes and other times he miserably failed in giving God what he wants the most. And when he failed, we'll see a picture of God's patience. And when he succeeded, we'll see a picture of God's blessing and God's goodness that came into his life as a result of learning to give God what he wants the most. And our journey today starts in uh, Genesis 12. And we're going to be covering 11 chapters really fast here. So we're not going to be putting a whole lot of quotes up on the screen. I'm going, to, I'm going to be telling you the stories. And I want to encourage you to go home today and maybe take time to read Genesis 12 through 22 because you get an entire lifespan highlight picture of a person's struggles in trying to live true spirituality. We start today in Genesis chapter 12, and it, and it opens with this, this call to Abraham. And it says, Then the Lord told Abraham, Leave your country and your relatives, And go to the land which I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others, and I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a really big promise, isn't it? 
And basically, the lesson here that, that God is asking Abraham to learn is, will you trust me with your future? And you see, Abraham, when he gets this message from God, is 75 years old. He's living in one of the premier cities of the day. He's got his house there. He's got his land there. He's got his family. He's got his friends. He's got his business there. And God comes to him and says, will you leave all that behind and follow me? Not to a place that I'm telling you about, but to a place that I'll eventually show you, to this unknown place. And see, really, in a sense, that's a lot like our faith journey as well. Because God communicates with us in the Bible this overall sense of purpose for our lives. And and as we get to know him better, he starts to narrow down what that looks like. And maybe even early on in your life gives you a definition sometimes of here's my core purpose, but we really don't know exactly the destination that's going to lead us to. We don't really know exactly what it's going to look like 20 or 30 years from now. And, And God's asking us the same thing. Will you trust me with your future? And Abraham passes this this test by leaving, but along the way to this journey of the future with God, he he fails and passes uh, some other tests in the in the future. And the first test we're going to look at, and we're just going to go through them very, fairly quickly here, is found in chapter 12, and it's the test of protection. Will you trust God to protect you? Now, Abraham has left, he's gone into this unknown land, and all of a sudden when he gets there, it tells us in chapter 12 that a famine strikes the land and there's no food. So Abraham continues to move and he takes all of his family down to Egypt. And on his way into Egypt, the story is told in chapter 12 that basically Abraham's wife, Sarah, is this just knock, drop-dead gorgeous woman, right? And as they're walking into Egypt, he looks over at Sarah and says, okay, Sarah, if we go in here, you're so beautiful. All the nobles and the rulers are going to want you because you're so beautiful and if, and if they, and if, and they'll kill me. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell them you're my sister, which he actually, actually was a half-sister. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an Arkansas story. Sorry, I shouldn't insult Arkansas, should I? Um, but he was a half-sister. So he goes in there and tells him and, and the history records and the story tells us that yes, all the nobles saw her and she was beautiful and, and so Pharaoh takes her into his harem, but before he has a chance to sleep with her, God appears to Pharaoh in a dream and warns him. And Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, what are you doing? Why would you ever let me cross God in this way and not tell me? And in order to appease God and and please God, Pharaoh gives uh, Abraham back Sarah and he gives him a bunch of money and cattle and livestock and says, get out of here. Abraham fails the first test. He starts off good. He, he leaves his family. And, but then as, as he gets down the road, it, it, he faces a moment where it's scary and, and he and refuses to surrender and, and trust God. And, but then we go on and we see Abraham face another one in chapter uh, 13. Abraham faces this test of greed. Will you trust me to provide for your needs is the question that God asks in our lives, in Abraham's life. Now, the story goes like this. Abraham has been traveling with his nephew, Lot. And coming out of Egypt, he gets all these gifts, obviously, right? So he's, his herds and his flocks and his, and his servants and all that are expanding. And all of a sudden, they discover that he and Lot can't survive in the same area of the land because they both, between the two of them, have so much that there's just not enough grass, not enough water, and they're fighting each other. So we see Abraham starting to trust God to direct his future and provide for him in this way. One day, Abraham and Lot standing on top of a hill. 
Abraham basically says, okay, Lot, look down at that beautiful lush valley with all the water and look here at this rocky soil and the the mountains and the hills. He says, you choose where you want to go. If you want the valley, you can have it. I'll stay here. If you want this land, I'll go to the valley. I'm trusting God is what Abraham is saying to direct my future and to provide for my needs. And Lot chooses the valley and, and all the lush land and goes down there, but he also chooses, as we, as we know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah because even outside of the biblical record, the history indicates that those two cities were very, very evil. And so Lot chooses the best-looking land but takes other, other issues on as well. But notice this. In Genesis 13:14, after Abraham passes this test, And we see this repeatedly in Abraham's life. When he passes a test of surrender with God, God appears to him and and either reaffirms or or maybe even goes deeper and more specific with the promise for his future. And, And he says to Abraham standing there, he says, look as far as you can see in every direction. I'm going to give you all this land, all this land to you and to your offspring as a permanent possession. And I'm going to give you so many descendants that they will be like dust that cannot be counted. And Abraham passes the test saying, God, I trust you no matter what things to look like to provide for all of my future and all of my needs. And God responds to him and says, I've got bigger and better blessings for you, bigger than you can imagine. Chapter 14 is the next test, and it's the test of prosperity. You know, it's one thing to pass the test of greed when we want more, when we, when we want the best for ourselves, and, and we want to succeed and, and get more. But when you've got a lot, what do you do with your prosperity then? When you get a lot, it sometimes changes us, doesn't it? It isn't, isn't just human nature. The more we have, the less dependent we become, or the more tempted we become to become less dependent on God. So the question is, will you trust me with your possessions in your prosperity? And, and the story goes like this in, in chapter 14. Uh, we find the story going on where these five kings, they come and attack all the cities in the valley, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and they take them over, and they take all their money, and they take all their livestock, and they take their servants and their animals, and, and it just so happens that Lot and his whole family, Abraham's nephew, are taken captive and brought into slavery by these kings. And Abraham hears about it after the day, the day after it happens or the day that it happens. And he gathers his 300 men that he can muster from his group of servants and workers. And, and they travel light and hard through the night. And they, they catch up to this much superior force than theirs. But in the night, they attack them. And, and, and with the surprise attack, they, they succeed and they rescue Lot. And all of, Lot, all of Lot's uh, family is, is, is safe and, and they recover all the loot and not just from Lot's possessions that were taken, but they, they recover all the loot that was taken from, the, from Sodom and Gomorrah and there were actually a couple other kings that were defeated in that whole battle and, and not only that, but they get all the servants that were taken along from those cities plus the servants of the bad guy kings that they just defeated and all the money. So they come back loaded. And as Abraham is coming back down the road, we see what we later learn is the pre-incarnate Christ meeting him. At the time, he's going by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes to him and says to Abraham, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God Most High who has helped you conquer your enemies. And Abraham, recognizing him as the presence of God, worships him by giving him a tenth of everything he has. There's no law written. There's no rule written that that's what he's supposed to do. He just does it. And the context of it indicates that Abraham is basically saying, I'm giving you this because I recognize that everything you have done for me is from you. And it's all yours. 
So I give this as a sign of my complete surrender to you and my complete service to you. But it goes on even further in this lesson of of how to deal with prosperity because Abraham goes down the road a little bit further and the king of Sodom comes out and meets him. And the king is so grateful that he actually recovered everything and that he saved him that he basically says to him, Abraham, you can keep all the livestock. You can keep all the money. Just give me the people back. And Abraham responds with this amazing, huge statement. He says, I wouldn't take a thread off of one of your sandals. You can have all the people back. You can have all the stuff back because never do I do I want a day to come when someone says that I was made rich by the king of Sodom because I am completely dependent on the Lord, not you. God is my provider for everything. And he passes this test, this test of how to deal with prosperity well. And then we go on in chapter 15, and it's the test of courage. It's the test of courage in the sense that will I trust God to fulfill his promises? You see, in chapter 15, we see the story going on, and this is several years later. He's probably now in his 80s, maybe even late 80s. He started this journey when he was 75, and God has given him this this promise that he would have a child and that his his heirs would number as the sands of the seashore, that they couldn't be counted. But he doesn't even have a child yet. And the courage comes when we believe the promises of God that that God has made to our lives. And we don't stand back like we typically do in a Sunday or, or, or in a small group. And we come to prayer and we say, God, would you please do this? And if you could, could you maybe take care of this? It's it's no. He comes to God and has this encounter with God where he says, God, you've made these promises. But right now, as it stands, all my inheritance is going to go to my servant. What's up? What's the plan? Are you really going to fulfill your promise? And it's not so much this angry questioning. It's this, it's this courageous confidence that, God, you've promised me. I trust your character. But what's going on? It's the time to come to God and, and say, God, I want to claim this. I want to walk in this. What's next? And God comes back to him and says this. He says, he says with great delight, he says, Abraham, look, I'm going to make you a des- your descendants as plentiful as the stars and of the sky. And, and, and your descendants will be, your inheritance will be from your own seed. It will come from your marriage to you and Sarah. I will give you a baby. Trust me. And here's the amazing thing. Abraham responded and said, I do. I will trust you. And it says in the text that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned or it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. You see, it's one thing to passively believe, to intellectually believe what God has promised to us. It's another thing to take on this whole thing. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that to God where you had an encounter with him, God saying, saying, God, you promised me this. You spoke to me about this. I may not know exactly what it means, but what's up? When's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? God, give me the promise you promised because I trust you. When's the last time you prayed a prayer like that over your own life about what God has asked you to do? He passes this one with flying colors. And then goes on to chapter 16, the test of timing. Will you trust me and patiently endure? You see, God makes promises. 
I don't know about you and your life, but I know the promises in my life. Sometimes God makes them and I think they're going to happen next week. And I can point time and time again in my life where he made a promise and one of them happened. One of them that's been fulfilled happened 14 years later. Another one that was like, I'm going to do this now happened three years later. Our timetable is not always God's timetable. And sometimes we don't trust God's timetable. And basically the story in chapter 16 is this. Sarah comes to Abraham and says, hey, okay, so he promised us the child, but we're obviously not having a child. So, hey, why don't we do this? I, I, God's going to fulfill his promise. I'm confident he's going to fulfill his promise. But So why don't we do this? Let, let, I'll give you my maidservant, and you go and have sex with her, and she'll have a baby. And, and it's kind of culturally relevant to do this. So this baby, because they're, she's my maidservant, will actually be ours, and God will fulfill his promise that way. And Abraham looks at that and says, well, okay, you know, nothing else is happening. I guess this maybe sounds good. So he does it. And we all know if you, if you read the rest of the story that, that turns out bad and it ends up being a bad thing for even the, the history of Israel and the history of the world in some ways because a baby is born and it's, and it's not God's promise. And Abraham fails this test. Again, I want you to see Abraham is so much like us. He's not this squeaky clean super Christian who never does anything wrong. He's on this journey of faith with God and, and he passes some and he, and he fails some, but God still keeps coming back. And, and isn't that really like our lives too? We, we, we make progress and then we blow it. And then we make progress and we blow it. And that's real life. And God walks us through a real true spirituality even in that. Abraham feels, fails pretty big here. But God doesn't say, okay, Abraham, you failed too many times. I'm done with you. Let's go look for somebody else. And he doesn't do that with us either. The promises he's made to us, he will fulfill. He treats us the same way. Chapter 17 is the test of obedience. Will you trust me when it doesn't make sense? You see, in chapter 17, we see God coming to Abraham and, and creating this covenant with him. And, and the sign of the covenant, the physical mark of the covenant is this really wonderful thing. He's supposed to circumcise himself and every male in his household. Now, I'm, I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Not only for all the men here are you cringing right now because of the painful thought of that, but does that really make any sense? What does this have to do with fulfilling the promise of giving me a child and giving me many descendants? It, it just doesn't make sense. And you know what? Sometimes God will come to us, and maybe some of you have illustrations in your mind when God has asked you to do something that makes no sense. Maybe He's asked you to give somebody money when you're struggling yourself. Maybe He's asked somebody to give you time when you have no time. And it doesn't even make sense. Maybe he's asked you to forgive somebody who's hurt you desperately and it doesn't make sense to do that. But God comes to Abraham and he gives him this test of obedience. Will you obey me even when it doesn't make sense? Even when it could be painful? But you know, we say to God sometimes, instead, you know, I'll, I'll trust you when I want to. I'll, I'll give it to you only if it makes sense. In all these tests, what's God's agenda so far? What's he trying to accomplish in Abraham's life? The lesson he's trying to give him is, will you trust me? Not just with part of your life, 
but with everything. And, and then comes the final exam in chapter 22. And it's the, will you trust me with absolutely everything and everyone in your life? And, and we've skipped a couple chapters there, and you'll notice if you look at the in-between chapters that this test even comes again on the heels of a test that Abraham failed from God and trusting God. But again, Abraham's gradually learning to respond better and, and, to, and to trust more deeply and more quickly. And in this one, God comes and asks him something that, that to us seems outrageous, and, and it is this outrageous request. He comes to him, and in the meantime, since our last time, they've actually had their baby. Sarah and he have had the baby, Isaac. And Isaac, by this time, is around 13 years old. And God comes to him and says, Will you take Isaac... And will you sacrifice him? God asks him to give up the very thing that God promised him he would give him. Now, we have no frame of reference for this idea that God would ask, uh, ask uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And, and Abraham actually didn't either. The Bible wasn't written. We don't, he, he didn't go into this knowing that God would never have him actually follow through with this because the Bible, which clearly says never sacrifice a human, wasn't written. In fact, during that day, human sacrifice was common among the people Abraham was mixing with. So Abraham goes into this going, man, I don't know. God's going to probably have me do this. And the interesting thing is Abraham takes off immediately the next morning. God appears to him, says to do this. He takes immediately off the next morning. and God tells him to go for a three-day walk to a place to sacrifice his son. Plenty of time to think about it. Can you imagine walking for three days with your own son and then coming to this place and being asked to sacrifice him. And it's so hard to imagine, instead of me trying to tell you, I, we've got a little video clip of it that I want you to watch and just put yourself in the shoes of Abraham. Abraham, do not harm 
know that you fear God, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your beloved son. guy named Bill Lawrence who writes this. He says, with God, risk really means risk. You know, and risk is another word for trust. Risk is another word for surrender. In fact, we cannot trust God. We cannot say we trust God unless we're willing to risk. In fact, think about the very concept of trust itself. You can't even trust God if we know what we have to trust him for. In the end, Abraham didn't know whether his child was going to die or whether he was going to finish the sacrifice. He, he didn't know whether God was going to protect him. He didn't know whether he would be, would be killed or not in, in, in a rational sense. But, but trust, it's one of those things. You can't trust if you know exactly what you're trusting for. And what gave Abraham the confidence. What gave him the confidence that he could fully trust God? And it was simply this, that God, he had confidence in God's character and God's promises. And the question is for us today, what is your Isaac? What is the area that, that, that God's asking you to surrender to him? This is a lifetime journey, but, but, the, but the goal of a lifetime is that, is that we surrender all. But you know, it's so easy. We, we, we go through life and we say, God, I'll surrender all and I'll do whatever you want, except I won't move. Except don't, don't mess with my family. Don't, don't make me take me away from my family. Or, or God, I'll, I'll trust you with everything except don't, don't, don't touch the money. Or God, don't touch my entertainment. Or, or except, I'll, I'll trust you with everything except. And you fill in the blank. What does that accept? Or when we respond to God in the way he wants, we say, God, I believe you're so good. You're so trustworthy. Your character, your kindness, your promises are so true that I'm going to do whatever you ask, whenever you ask. When I surrender... In that way, I give him my future. I give him my family. I give him my singleness or my marriage or I give him my money. I give him my dreams. 
And we can do this like Abraham because Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to do what he promised that he would do and perform. In fact, we even get further into Abraham's mind when we look at Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. He had such faith in God that as he approached the sacrifice of Isaac, it tells us that he was confident that even if he killed that which God had said his promise would come through, that God would raise him from the dead. And isn't that an awful lot like what Jesus did for us? This Father's love that would, would give up something so precious, the very promise, the very good thing to us so that He could have relationship with us. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. This whole journey of spirituality, it's, it's about relationship. It's not about rules. It's about faith in God. It's about trust in God. It's about, it's about surrender of everything to God. But we still have a whole nation And I'm guessing that even the statistics we quoted earlier, even though we've talked about it, are probably true of us here, where so much of our nation thinks that if we're just a little bit more moral, then we're good enough. Or or if we just do the right things, if we go to church enough, then we're okay. But it's not about any of that. It's about this Father's love for us. And that relationship with our Heavenly Father, the lesson with Abraham and the lesson throughout the Bible is that we don't even get in the game until we're able to until we want to risk it all there's a demand that we risk it all because without faith it's impossible to please him for he that comes to god must believe two things it must believe that he is that he's the creator of all that he's good and we forget the second part that he's a rewarder he's a rewarder of those who seek him so tell me from abraham's life how do you think it turned out are we, are we disappointed at looking at Abraham's life? Do we, think that, do we think that it's not a life we want to model? I mean, are we, are we disappointed that God allowed him to have influence on millions and millions of people and even be a name now that we study and we look at and we see not just this stained glass religious person, but this person who lived a real life of struggles and failure and success and, and learned to live a true spirituality all in the midst of real life with God. And Jesus says that surrender is the key to true spirituality. It's another word for faith. It's another word for trust. Surrender is another word for saying, I love you, God, enough to believe that you will take care of me in everything I do that you ask me to do. In fact, Jesus teaches us, if anyone would seek to save his life, he'll lose it. But if anyone would lose his life for his sake, he'll find it. He'll gain his life. God The answer today, the prayer that we're asking God, you to pray is, God, I'll do life your way on your terms in your time. That's the key to true spirituality. And from that position, we receive God's blessings. It's not about compartmentalizing God and saying, Lord, I really want to go to heaven like so many of us do. Or, or Lord, I really need you and I need your blessing when my kid's in the ICU. Or, or, Lord, I really need you. Where are you when when I need a job? It's so easy for us to compartmentalize and say, God, I want you, and even blame God for not being there when that, for that, but, but we say, I want you in the ICU, but, but I'm not going to give you this. Or I'm not going to be obedient in this. And, and, and what do we, what do we expect from God? And, and right now, I suspect for some of you, this is kind of a scary moment. Maybe you're feeling pressure. Maybe you're, maybe you're even a little bit angry that I'm, that I'm being so intense on this, on this topic of surrender because, 
because it's uncomfortable. Because some of you, some of you here may be in an immoral relationship. And what it means, you're going to have to walk out of here and you're going to have to cut that relationship off. For some of you, it may mean that you've got habits and addictions that, that you like, that you're not willing to face. And, and the answer, if you're going to surrender to God, is to, to walk out of here and make a decision to get help and get out of those things. And, and for some of you, you're hanging on to stuff. You're hanging on to your future. You're hanging on to your idea of what you want your life to be like and your money. And you're not even willing to give God even the little bit that he wants that he asks you to give for his kingdom because it's not about the money. It's more about your heart, your lifestyle, what you think you are entitled to, you think is more important than your relationship with God. And so you're more prone to spend money on time and future and dream on that than to even give God what he wants. You know, what does God want from us? He wants the old, the old poker saying, I'm all in. I'm sticking all my chips in the middle of the table. I'm not holding any of them out. I'm not waiting for someday when maybe I'll get it all in, when maybe I'll get in the game someday. I'm not waiting until after I have a little bit of fun or until after I get married or until after I get my kids or until after I get to a certain point in my life. Then maybe I'll do it. He's asking us for us for, for us to be all in. And, and the beauty of this is it's never too late. Abraham was 75 when he started the journey. And as we start to move towards a close, I, I want you to watch this video because I think this video that you're going to see really, really sums up the choice today and what God is asking us to do. So enjoy. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions. But you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, see, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. Well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? It isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. Take a risk. Be all in. The reality is for us in life, we're going to trust something or someone. 
We can either trust God completely or, or you can walk through life trusting that, that your wife or your, or your husband or your job or your parents or, or your things or, or, or what you think you need in life is going to make it a meaningful life. But today, we're asking you to get in a relationship and really think about this. Even in your marriage, this is true. In, in your relationships, this is true. Relationship at its highest level is being completely surrendered, being all in, regardless of the circumstances. And God's basically saying to you today, I gave you my all so you could give me your all. And he wants us to be all in, not hold back, not, not have those accept blank things in our life. He wants us to trust him completely today with everything, not everything but if the ushers could come, they're going to pass out uh, some cards. And I'd like if you to take a card. There's uh, pens at the end of your aisle if you need pens. Um, we're going to take the offering. And uh, if the worship team could come as well, I'd appreciate it. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. Go ahead and pass the cards out. You know, when, it, when Wendy and I uh, make a choice to give an offering, which we do through e-giving here, actually, um, that choice to make an offering is us saying, God, I'm going to give you the first and the best of what I've got, what, you, what you've given me. Why? Because, Lord, this is the, one of the best ways I can show you that I am all in, that you have my entire heart. And honestly, today, if I could take the offering the way I wanted to, we wouldn't pass a bag, we wouldn't pass a bucket, we, we would pass this, this big old container that was about 10 feet by 10 feet by 2 feet deep, and I'd get some really burly ushers out here, and I'd actually have you get yourself in there, because as we are obedient in our giving that God asks us to do, the really the, really the important thing, the thing that he's really after, because it wasn't about him wanting to see the sacrifice of Isaac, it was about him wanting all of Abraham's heart. And if we could take the offering the way I wanted it to, I'd have him go by and I'd have you put yourself in the offering today. You know, God is, Jesus basically came and, and God says, I, I, I gave you and I did what I did for you, giving all for the joy set before me. And that joy set before him was the idea that he could have relationship with you the rest of your life. I think a God like that's pretty safe to go all in with, to stick all your chips in the middle with. A God who's willing to do that? Would you pray? Lord, thank you for this day. I, I, know, I know this is a, uh, maybe a solemn moment for some, an uncomfortable moment for some. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here and that, and that we would learn to trust your character, your goodness, and your promises. And Lord, that you would help us to surrender everything, to put everything in the middle, holding nothing back. To not just give our money out of obedience, but to as we give money and as we give other things, as we live life, that it would be our entire heart given to you at all times, in all areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before they take the offering, what I want you to do with that card you got, which is in the form of a blank check, I want you to do this only if you feel like you're ready.
This is not about performance. This is not about brownie points with God. This is not about brownie points with the person next to you. But I want to use this blank check as a symbol of you saying to God, I'm all in. I'm giving you everything. We don't give anybody a blank check in life, do we? We always hold something back. God wants a blank check. So if you are ready to do this, I'd like you to up in the corner where there's normally a name to print your name legibly and your address legibly. Because in about two months or so, or whenever we decide we're going to do this, we're going to mail this back to you just as a reminder of what you did today. And then I want you to sign it. And maybe you're here today and you're making this decision for the very first time. You've never surrendered your life to Christ in the past, and you're making it for the first time. If that's you, would you just put a star, just draw a little star or something somewhere on it? And here's the reason why. If you're making a choice to follow Christ for the first time, we want to be able to contact you and help you figure out even more what that looks like. And probably the only way we can contact you is if you let us know who you are. And if we don't have, if you're making a choice for the first time to do this and we don't have your contact information, would you just give us an email or a phone number that we could call you just so we could touch base, pray with you, and help you get connected in a way that you're, you're not going to lose the sense of what God's doing in your life at this moment, okay?